MSW Media. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by our patrons. Our premium subscribers make the show possible, and in return, they get an ad-free feed, access to my personal show notes, the photos submitted in the good news, VIP meet-and-greet and pre-sale event tickets, invites to our private social media groups, and access to bonus content. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Today, it's election day in America as people flock to the polls in record numbers. Republicans seek to block military ballots from being counted in Wisconsin. Evgeny Prigozhin admits to interfering in elections. A Trump-appointed judge says Bannon's conviction for contempt will most likely be overturned. An appeals court has dismissed John Eastman's motion again. And Stuart Rhodes is eviscerated on the stand by the Department of Justice. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Happy Election Day, Dana. Happy Election Day. And you know this, and I just want to say this to the listeners. I went to go vote in person yesterday because I had not received a mail-in ballot in California, which is odd because everyone who's registered to vote should have gotten one. Well, I went in and they went to go look at my name and they said, you're an inactive voter. And I said, that's odd because I have voted in every election since I was 18 years old. Now, in the state of California, they gave me two options. I could take an oath. And, uh, you know, that would just make it so I could vote then or I could get a provisional ballot. And I chose to take the oath. So whatever happens, if you were supposed to mail in a ballot and you did not get it, do not sit this one out. Please go in person, figure out what's going on by law. They have to give you a provisional ballot. Mm -hmm. okay? by law. So please, 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 if you're frustrated, don't get too frustrated so that you stay home. Just go take the time. It's worth our democracy. 100%. And thank you for doing that. I didn't know they could administer an oath right there on the spot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it might just be in the state of California, but I'll take it. Yeah. They, we don't mind here in California if people vote. So (laughs) it's, um, it's a little different than some of these other states where they have Republican state houses and legislatures and governors and secretaries of state where they like to suppress the vote. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the election victories from Mark Elias today. You have the story on that. Uh, I just want to really quickly tell everybody that, you know, Eastman's 900th appeal has been denied. He, he was like, I know that they saw the eight emails we accidentally sent over, but can you poke their eyes out, please, and erase their memories? I mean, it was just like the, the dumbest thing. Send them back and you can't use them. And the judge was like, no, denied. You can't have them back and they're not going to not use them. And also they said, and it's mostly your fault that they got them, <laughs> that they got them anyway. <laughs> and oh, that the, Lord. the public got the eight emails. Because remember, Doug Letter, House Counsel, was like, yeah, uh, so they sent us emails with links to the Dropbox. We didn't know they didn't deactivate those links. And so we put them in our court filing and Politico was able to get those emails from those links. And so the judge was like, yeah, you should have deactivated that link. Yeah, that one's on um, you. So ha ha ha. Although I wasn't really too concerned about that. Not as concerned as I am about the Bannon thing, and I'll get into that. Um, It's a little worrisome what's going on with that Trump-appointed judge. And so, you know, there's just, there's a lot going on. And I'm I'm simultaneously excited about this election and also very nervous. 100%. Um, It's very close. 
uh, I, you know, the, the most recent polling, but we are coming out in record numbers. So it's, you know, it's hard to tell what's going to happen, but I know that all the ballots will not be counted on election night. So uh, be patient, buckle in. It's going to be a while. I'm also going to talk later in the show to Amanda Littman. She is a co-founder of runforsomething.net. And um, she's awesome. We've had her on the show just this past August. And we're going to talk about a couple more things. As everyone goes out to cast their ballots, this is the last day to do it. So please remember to do so and take a million people with you, like a million. That's all. That's it. That's it. Cool. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Steve Bannon will remain free from serving a four-month prison sentence as he appeals his recent conviction on two counts of criminal contempt to Congress. Judge Carl Nichols, a Trump appointee, filed the expected ruling Monday. We expected this ruling delaying the prison term after Bannon filed a notice appealing his conviction on Friday. That case will now make its way through the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is fucking badass. So I'm like the election. I'm kind of concerned, but kind of not. And I'll tell you why. Bannon will only serve time in prison if his conviction is upheld by the higher courts. He's a private citizen. At the time of the January 6th committee's creation last year, he was charged after uh, he rebuffed the panel's demand that he sit for deposition and hand over documents relevant to the probe. During his trial in July, prosecutors told the jury that Bannon thought he was above the law and had thumbed his nose at congressional demands. Bannon chose not to testify, and his legal team called no witnesses. (laughs) In refusing to comply with the committee's subpoena, he claimed he could not testify because of executive privilege concerns raised by Trump, adding that his attorney... Robert Costello had advised him not to comply with the subpoena because of those concerns. But Judge Nichols ruled that because of binding precedent from a higher court, the only reason he ruled this is because a higher court previously, you know, decided this, that they could not present a defense known as advice of counsel to the jury. They couldn't argue, my lawyer told me not to show up. And that is precedent from the appeals court that this is going to. Uh, And that's why I have a little bit of hope here is because. Yeah, that makes sense. They're the ones who set the precedent. Those legal issues are likely subjects of his appeal, and Nichols indicated some of the questions were worth further consideration by the higher courts. And in his Monday ruling, delaying the sentence, Nichols noted that Bannon is not likely to flee as the appeals process moves forward and reiterated that the issues raise, quote, substantial question of law that is likely to result in a reversal or an order for a new trial. I don't know why he thinks that. I disagree with him. I can't find any precedent in the higher courts. In fact, all the precedent in the higher courts binds them to not allow that defense. Nevertheless, when imposing Bannon's sentence last month, though, Nichols said Bannon has not taken responsibility for his actions. So he bit back a little. We'll see what happens there. Now, the Republican chair of the Wisconsin Assembly's Elections Committee, along with Veterans Group and other voters, they have filed a lawsuit seeking a court order requiring the sequestering of military absentee ballots in the battleground state. The lawsuit from State Rep. Janelle Brenchen? Hmm? Brenchen? Sure. Brandon filed Friday in, oh goodness, was someone, thank you, Waukesha County Circuit Court. I was like, someone's going to correct me. (laughs) Comes after a top Milwaukee County elections official was charged with fraudulent requesting three military ballots using fake names and having them sent to Brandon as way to expose vulnerabilities in Wisconsin elections. Now, Kimberly Zapata, deputy director of the Milwaukee Election Commission, was fired last week and now faces charges of felony misconduct in office and three misdemeanor counts of election fraud. I can't believe she did that. She she was like, 
look, and she committed voter fraud to prove that it could be done. It's just absurd. I mean, the lawsuit seeks a temporary injunction requiring elections officials in Wisconsin to set aside military ballots so that their authenticity can be verified. A judge scheduled a Monday afternoon motion hearing in the case. Now, in Wisconsin, military voters are not required to register to vote, meaning they don't need to provide a photo ID to request an absentee ballot. All absentee ballots must be received by close of polls at 8 p.m. Tuesday in order to be counted. Well, as of Sunday, more than 715,000 absentee ballots had been returned. Now, Branjan said in a statement Sunday announcing the lawsuit that she was hopeful the courts could act quickly. Within hours, they sure did. Within hours, a Wisconsin judge ruled from the bench denying the request to sequester the military ballots. Thank God. Now, in another major victory today in Arizona state, an Arizona state ruled that Cochise County may not conduct a full hand count of early ballots, which, duh, and Pennsylvania's, the reason I say does, because then you, you just know who's voted already and you can target the people you need. It's, it's, it's absurd. Now, and, the, and we're going to Pennsylvania. Another thing, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court denies the application for reconsideration on misdated ballots. That's also a win for us. When I say us, that means the good side. And Georgia judge, <laughs> we're going to Georgia. A Georgia judge extends ballot receipt deadline for over a thousand Cobb County absentee voters after the county failed to send their ballots on time. Now, a lot of people are complaining they haven't gotten them. Now, affected voters will have their ballots counted if they are postmarked by Election Day and received by November 14th. So those got out, but get them in by Election Day. And as long as they're received by November 14th and there's no fuckery in the USPS, we should be all set. Yeah. So four big wins from Mark Elias and the Elias Law Group today. Incredible. Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes did his best to wipe his hands of the violent disaster on January 6th. This was today, Monday, claiming he was he was on the stand again, claiming on the witness stand it was stupid of his allies to storm the Capitol. He threw his other co-conspirators under the bus and said, I didn't want to. They they broke the mission. That's what he did. He also went on a bizarre tangent about his alleged romantic escapades. Content warning. We have white supremacy sex coming up in this story. Oh, Jesus. Despite her steadfast indications to the contrary, Rhodes claimed in federal court he was involved in a romantic relationship with Kelly Sorrell, former general counsel of the militia group. We were dating, he told a D.C. federal court, the jurors presiding over the case in which he and others are accused of seditious conspiracy. Rhodes made the claim when he was asked during cross-examination by the DOJ whether he had had enough control over the attorney to get her to stay silent about the Oath Keepers' role in the riots. The militia founder smiled before answering, do we have to get into kink? Really? Oh, dear. Quote, outside the bedroom, she's definitely a type A. Inside the bedroom, she switches to a sub, he told the attorney, Catherine Rakasi. The claim came hours into Rhodes' time on the stand, during which he offered one of his strongest denials yet of involvement in the insurrection. Quote, I think it was stupid to go into the Capitol. One, because it wasn't our mission, he said. And two, it opened the door for our political enemies to persecute us. And that's what happened. And here we are. Oh, dear. Rhodes claimed that more than 100 members of his far-right militia group went into the nation's capital simply to provide security for January 6th rally-goers and speakers. But once the riots began, several Oath Keeper members went, quote, off mission and breached the Capitol, disrupting the electoral certification of President Joe Biden, he said, totally throwing the other Oath Keepers under the bus. Quote, I didn't want him getting wrapped up in all the nonsense with Trump supporters, he said. My goal was to make sure that no one got wrapped up in the Charlie Foxtrot going on inside the Capitol. I hate this guy. 
Prosecutors, however, allege that Rhodes and four other militia members spent months training and planning an armed rebellion to shatter a bedrock of American democracy in an attempt to stop the certification of Biden's win. While Rhodes did not enter the building, prosecutors allege that he directed the group from afar like a general as they stormed the Capitol. To prove the argument, jurors have been shown surveillance footage and text messages that show the lengths both keepers went in order to execute the mission. Last week, jurors also saw a recording of Rhodes four days after the riot in which he is heard saying his only regret was not bringing rifles to the Capitol. Quote, we could have fixed it right then and there. I'd hang fucking Pelosi from a lamppost, he said. On Monday, today, he said he made that comment after a couple of drinks at dinner. I guess that was the Olive Garden dinner. Yeah, it must have been. During cross-examination, prosecutors grilled him about his previous characterization of the group that he founded around 2009. Assistant U.S. Attorney Catherine Ricosi also showed jurors videos of Rhodes with far-right conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and footage of other Oath Keepers acting menacingly at various social justice protests. Quote, with martial arts training, I could use almost anything as a weapon, he admitted on the stand. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Later, he conceded that he'd urged his followers not to recognize Biden as legitimate winner of the election, claims that spurred the attack on the Capitol. When Rhodes later argued he was not aware of what some of the Oath Keepers were planning in a group chat, Rakosi pointed out that he was the group's chairman. Sir, the buck stops with you in this organization, right? The prosecutor added, to which Rhodes insisted he was not responsible for members who go off mission. Well, that's convenient, she said. Nice. <laughs> she sh- he was like, no, I wasn't in charge of anything. And she put a fucking text message to the whole group of Oath Keepers up on the screen that said, I am in charge of everything. It, it's just like she totally picked him apart piece by piece. It was awesome. Good for her. Love to see it. Mm-hmm. All right. A.G., the powerful Russian businessman and close Vladimir Putin ally, and you're going to correct me if I mess this up, Evgeny Prigozhin? Prigozhin? You are so... It's Yevgeny Prigozhin. Ah, Yevgeny Prigozhin. You can just call him Putin's chef. All right, Putin's chef it is, because that last one's going to get me. Has admitted, that Putin's chef has admitted (laughs) to interfering. This this fucking article I read today, and I was like, you... I mean, I'm not surprised... But it's just to see it in print is sort of shocking. When are you going to change your name, Mueller, she wrote, you stupid Russia hoax believer. There was no Russian interference. Yeah, well, A.G., there was. And this guy admitted it to interfering in U.S. elections on the eve of midterm vote in which Republicans will seek to take control of Congress and statewide offices across the country. Gentlemen, we interfered. We are interfering and we will interfere. That was from Putin's chef who has previously been accused of influencing the outcome of elections across continents. Across continents, he said that in a statement that was posted on his catering company, Concord. (laughs) So he literally is the chef. (laughs) Yeah. He went on to say, carefully, precisely, surgically, and the way we do it, the way we can. That was again, Prigozhin. Now, Prigozhin was responding to a request to comment on recent Bloomberg reports saying Russia was interfering in Tuesday's U.S. midterm elections. The vote is crucial for the legislative agenda in the rest of the U.S. President Joe Biden's term and could pave the way for a White House comeback by the former guy. That's what they're saying now. Now, the U.S. social media analysis firm uh, Grafika last week said that suspected Russian operatives have used far-right media platforms to criticize Democratic candidates in the lead-up to the midterm elections in a number of U.S. states, including Georgia, New York, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Now, Progrozin, with a dozen other Russian nationals and three Russian companies, was indicted in 2018 as part of the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia interference in the 2016 election. 
What? Yes, he was charged with inciting discord (laughs) and dividing American public opinion before the 2016 U.S. presidential election, accusations that the chef, as well as the Kremlin, have previously denied. Biden spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre said the White House was not surprised by Progrosian's remarks. Quote, it's well known and well documented in the public domain that entities associated with Progrosian Progosian have sought to influence elections around the world, including the United States. So, I mean, it's infuriating. I don't even know what we do other than election security at this point. Mm. My favorite is everybody who thought I was nuts. Of course. But, but I mean, he was fucking indicted. And so was Concord Management. It was one of the three entities that was indicted for for interfering. Um, yeah, 371. And plenty of other things. But uh, anyway, so uh, I guess, what, four years later, I can say, told you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) God, let's hope it's not another four years later where you can say, yep, told you again. Yeah. Well, now I have this this statement I can just copy and paste when everyone's like, you Russia hoax, you're stupid. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be right back with a ray of sunshine. Absolutely wonderful person. Co-founder of Run for Something, Amanda Littman. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Moji Alawodeal from the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod, the only podcast that helps you navigate the news in this post-pro anti-abortion hellscape. Each week with co-hosts Marie Khan and Liz Winstead, we dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with providers and activists working on the ground. The cherry on top is we have amazing comedy guests who help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzz Kills Live drops Fridays wherever you pod. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Everybody, welcome back. Today, I am proud to be joined by Democratic strategist for Run for Something. She's also the co-founder. Please welcome Amanda Littman. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Nervous. Excited. uh, Freaking out. Low-key freaking out and also low-key, like super optimistic. I don't know. (laughs) See how it's going to go today. But how are you? I am cautiously a little bit of optimistic, a little bit of pessimistic, mostly just like open to being pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I like that. I like that feeling because I tend to sort of oscillate back and forth between we're going to do this and holy shit, you know, so it's kind of I like that middle ground of of cautiously optimistic and, and open to be pleasantly surprised. And I know that a lot of people are prepping for either scenario and the multiple scenarios. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this all goes. And the votes aren't going to be counted for, you know, weeks, but we'll we'll see. But I want to talk to you today about, you know, being the co-founder, co-executive director of Run for Something. 
which is that you can find out more information at runforsomething.net. And you founded it in 2017. And can you talk a little bit, remind us, remind our listeners about what prompted you to create this organization? So I worked for Hillary for two years and a bunch of campaigns before that. Um, But a week after the worst election day of my entire life, I got a message from somebody I went to college with. Hey, Amanda, I'm a public school teacher in Chicago. I'm thinking about running for office because if Trump can be president, seems like anybody can do this. What do I do? Who do I call? And I didn't have an answer for them because at the time, if you were young, if you were newly excited about politics and you wanted to do more than vote and more than volunteer, there was nowhere you could go to sort of enter into this space. And that to me felt like a really big problem and symptomatic of some problems in our party and in our democracy. So reached out to a whole bunch of people, one of whom became my co-founder, Ross Morales Riquetto. We wrote a plan, we built a website, and then we launched Run for Something on Trump's inauguration day thinking, cool, what a hobby this will be. We'll get 100 people who want to run in the first year. This will be like the way we fill our time on weekends while we get quote unquote real jobs. We had 1,000 people sign up in the first week. As of today, we're up to nearly 130,000 young people all across the country who've raised their hands to say they want to run. We've endorsed more than 2,200. We've helped elect more than 650. And on election day 2020, we've got 490 endorsed candidates on the ballot across 48 states, mostly women, mostly people of color, about 27% LGBTQIA folks who are running and leading and have changed their careers to change the world. And it is so cool and a privilege and maybe the only, I would say maybe the best job in politics one can imagine. That is so truly amazing. The impact that, that your organization has had, especially on young people who want to get involved. Because right now I am seeing some incredibly encouraging numbers from the youth vote. We're up beating 2018 midterm numbers with the youth vote and Republican youth vote is down considerably Mm -hmm. from the same time or, you know, from from the midterms in 2018. And and we're also in some states looking at beating 2020 numbers of general election with a midterm. And so I'm very encouraged by youth vote. And what I've noticed as I because I've talked to so many experts and people who are working on getting out the youth vote that they are interested in candidates that look and act more like them and are their age. And they're also very interested in local politics. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of local politics and how your organization likes to focus on local politics or what I call trickle up politics, because that's where it begins? Yeah. So Run for Something exclusively works with young people. For us, that's people 40 and under running for things like state house, state senate, city council, school board, library board, American River Flood Control District trustee, community college board. You know, one of the more than half a million elected offices in the United States, most of which are not Congress and not the president and not governors, and most of which actually really make a difference in the quality of people's lives. We think about local politics sort of through two lenses. One is that it's good for policy um, on everything from voting rights to abortion access to school curriculums to transportation and the quality of streets and the cleanliness of the water you drink and how easy or hard it is to open a business or access childcare. All of that is happening on the local level. Um, It's being decided by people who are elected in unfortunately really low turnout elections often. Um, but who have a huge impact on how you experience life in your community. And then we think about this in terms of politics, and that's where you get at this idea of trickle-up politics. The way that you build power in a place is not by starting to flip a Senate seat or or a governor's seat. It's by flipping or controlling a bunch of school boards and a 
I don't know, a bunch of county offices and maybe you start to win a couple mayorships and maybe you want win a state house seat or two or 10 or a majority. All of that is how you end up building a a network of people who one on the candidate side can run for office and win and have the experience needed to run for higher office. But two, you can build the data, you build the skills of your volunteers, you build up your operatives, you have more messengers for the Democratic Party policies and values. All of that helps create sustainable power and lays the groundwork for someone to win the state higher up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you vote up and down the ballot when you show up. And something that I think is really amazing that you're doing is is not just the issues on the ground, political issues like clean air, clean water, climate, education, libraries, stuff like that. But you have something called clerk work mm-hmm. where, where we're actually talking about how our elections are administered. Can you talk about that? Uh, clerk work's one of my favorite projects we're running this year, next year, and the year after. Clerk work um, is a program to recruit and support candidates to run for the positions that quite literally administer elections. Many of these roles are called county or city clerk. That's why we call this program clerk work. Um, and it's an effort to make sure that there are not malicious actors, Nazis, conspiracy theorists, election deniers running these places. And not incompetent people, which is almost as bad and the worst being the incompetent malicious ones. We really want to make sure that pro-democracy, pro-voter leaders are engaging in the offices that determine things like where polling locations are and what kind of technology is used, how votes are counted, how many poll workers are staffing somewhere. Um, The sort of nuts and bolts of running an election that are, when they go well, really under commented on and when they go poorly can really undermine democracy from the ground up. And we know this matters, not just because of like the obvious logistics stuff here, um, but also because this is a thing that the far right, the Steve Bannon, the Trump acolytes, the think tanks on the, the extremist end are putting a bunch of time and money and effort into getting people to engage in. So we're working with hundreds of clerk work candidates this year and are already starting to do heavy recruitment for clerk work folks to run in 2023. Fun fact, the Wisconsin clerk work positions, which they run on the municipal level there. There's more than a thousand of them. Uh, Many of those filing deadlines are the first week of January, 2023. So if you want to run for office in Wisconsin, now is the time. Mm, Awesome. So everyone needs to make sure to check out your website for more information. And before I let you go, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because you, you were, you were on our show back in August and, you know, we talked about quite a few things about the, you know, these laws that are getting passed based on the big lie in, in red states and how we need more people on the ground in those local elections. And that's kind of, you know, sort of central focus of what your work is. But also I wanted to talk about, and I I didn't ask you about this last time, but in February, you made an appearance on the Ezra Klein show. And can you talk a little bit about what you and Ezra spoke about, particularly with the hyper-focus on national issues? Yeah, Ezra and I covered a whole bunch of topics, but in particular, one of the things we got at was why the Democratic Party is so bad at this. And I should think the the source of the problem is not with the operatives and the activists. I mean, I know at this point, hundreds of people who work in democratic politics who wish they could be doing more on school boards and city councils. The problem is that democratic funders, and I mean this both major donors and people who give five and 10 and 20 and $50 at a time, love to chase the shiny, flashy object, whether the shiny, flashy object is new technology or a exciting candidate, uh, usually for Senate or for president, or you know some, some tactic that's going to revolutionize politics. Love to throw money after the new thing, 
and then close it down when it doesn't work. The reality is, is that to build power and to win sustainable power, which I think are really, really important, it's what the Republican Party at this point is very close to having, even though they're not more popular, requires the unsexy, not so glamorous work of just running candidates and winning elections, which feels so obvious to say, like just stupidly obvious. But you would be surprised how much pushback run for something. And my co-founder and I get when we talk about, you know, it's really important to win school board races in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's really important to not let Nazis take over Idaho, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is that is like pretty close to happening. It is really important to try and field candidates for every state legislative race in the country. Even if we're not going to win most of them, we should at least be on the ballot. All of those kinds of conversations we get pushback on constantly because they're not in the headlines. They're not exciting. You probably don't get invited to a cocktail party or get named ambassador for engaging in them. But they are at the core (laughs) how we win elections by just like flooding the zone with people who can talk to voters about these issues. And then when they win, they can actually make laws that make it easier for people to run, to to vote, to show up. They can do stuff like make it easier for people to join unions. They can make our schools better and our curriculums more, more empathetic and inclusive. All of that builds a more, I think, better (laughs) civic society, but also one that is more likely to vote democratic. It all comes together in this way. Wow. Yeah, that's, if anyone gets the chance to listen to that interview with Ezra. It's it's truly, really, it's pretty profound and prescient considering where we are right now today. It's it's kind of frightening how far the right has pushed into local politics just in the past six months alone. So I, I highly recommend listening to that. Can you tell everybody where they can find and support and get more info if they want to run, particularly if they want to you know participate in clerk work, which is so crucially important. And that deadline's coming up in just a month or so. Can you tell everyone where they could get information? Yes. To learn more about the organization, you can go to runforsomething.net to specifically look up where you can run for office, um, whether that's in for the clerk work program or for school board or anything else. If you go to runforwhat.net, you can enter your address and you'll find all the offices available for you to run for in 2023. And if we have it for 2024, you'll start getting information from our team about how to think about getting on the ballot, how to make this decision, how to write a campaign plan, what to do once you're on the campaign. We will walk you through every step of this. The only requirements you need when you sign up on that website is to say, yeah, I'm open to maybe one day, possibly. um, And we will help you with everything else. So again, it's runforsomething.net or runforwhat.net. Either way, we're there for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And uh, it, you know, this episode we record on Monday, but it comes out Tuesday morning. It comes out election day. So everybody check where you're registered, make sure you vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, do you have voter guides for local elections or where would you recommend folks go for that to see who to vote into their school boards, library boards, community college boards? Yes, you can go to runforsomething.net slash map and you can look up all the candidates we've got in your area. We have folks in 48 states. Again, we have 490 endorsed candidates on the ballot on November 8th. So there's almost certainly one you can vote for. I went and voted early over the weekend and was able to vote for a run for something candidate for state Senate, which always makes me really happy. So if we if you can vote for one of our folks, make sure you do. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's runforsomething.net or runforwhat.net. I appreciate your time today. Amanda Littman. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. 
Hey, everybody, it's AG. And I just wanted to take a second to thank our patrons and tell you about a new weekly wrap up bonus episode that I'll be recording a full bonus episode that comes out on the weekends and it'll be for patrons. I know a lot of people have said, man, I miss my beans on the weekends. Well, now we're going to have a weekly wrap-up episode. And for as little as three bucks a month, patrons get the ad-free premium feed. They get access to the new Weekend Daily Beans weekly wrap-up episode, pre-sale tickets for live shows, invites to meetups and meet and greets with the hosts, uh, access to our private social media groups. You get links to our bi-monthly happy hour Q&A on Zoom, plus a whole host of merch, including stickers, mugs, and t-shirts for signing up. And if you can't afford a membership, we have had over a thousand patrons donate a one-year subscription to those who can't swing it. For just 36 bucks a year, you can donate a premium feed to someone in need. And you can also sign up for that program if you want to get on the list to receive one. Or if you want to donate one, just do that at dailybeanspod.com and look for patrons helping patrons. For more information on becoming a premium subscriber, head to patreon.com slash the daily beans or search for us on supercast. And thanks so much to all those who make the show possible. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to send your Halloween photos in, I would love to see them. If you want to give a shout out to somebody you really love and care about, if you want to tell us your voting story, I would love to hear that. Uh, any whoopee stories that you have, those are really like super like my favorite. Just send a picture of your happy place. Anything you want to let us know, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. If you haven't voted, uh, it's today. So go vote. <laughs> and uh, like like Dana says, you can in most states you can get a provisional ballot. So just show up if you didn't get your mail in ballot and go see what you can get done. We got a, a few corrections on the pronunciation of Eureka. Which, <laughs> I knew we would. <laughs> yep, because I knew it, too. As soon as I saw it, I, was like, I think that's a why. And I did. I just couldn't. I didn't have the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Because I know Eureka is a totally different. Pl- All right. So Liz, she, her. Hello, ladies. Good news and a correction. Why Rika is pronounced Why Rika. Eureka is a totally different town also in Northern California, but a few hundred miles towards the coast. Good news. I've been a longtime listener. First time writer. My good news is I voted. Please see my pics. Snoopy rocking my I voted sticker. Snoopy has been in the family for most of his life. My sister rescued him from the pound in Chico, California. When she moved and couldn't take him, He stayed with our parents in Taylorsville, California. Just over a year ago, the Dixie Fire wiped Greenville, the next town over, off the map. My parents were evacuated for nearly 90 days, not knowing if the house would make it. Snoopy came to stay with me during the evacuation, and we all decided he's staying with me forever. I have PTSD, and he's been incredible in my life. He's training for a panic attack disruption. Oh, amazing. It's going well. He loves doing a job. We actually did what the mutt and open it up to the family last Christmas. As many guesses as you want. Three breeds max, with or without percentages. Price is right rules, closest without going over takes the pot. (laughs) $5 buy-in. My auntie took home the pot. Now it's your turn to guess. Answer is included. He's six years old and 90 pounds, down from 100 a year ago. The void kitty is bear. My Norwegian forest cat, down from 19 pounds to 15.6. Okay. Okay. (gasps) I'm going to say there's some great Dane and cattle dog in there because he's so big. 
He's a big boy. Yeah, Great Dane. I like that. Dalmatian, maybe? Yeah. Great Dane, Dalmatian. What about I mean, that Great Pyrenees? It could be some of their, the fluff. Oh, yeah, that's a, oh, my goodness, he's cute. Oh. Cattle dog, Dalmatian. That's a big cat, too. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful baby. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those photos. Let's see. We've got cattle dog, Pyrenees. Oh, there we go. Chesapeake Retriever. Okay. I got two out of three with second guesses. (laughs) Yes. I wouldn't have gotten the Chesapeake Retriever. No. So Mainly because I've never heard of one. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful dog. I know. I'm so behind on my breeds. Oh, it's amazing. I I know like seven, you know. That's it. Uh, All right. This is from Kara, pronoun she, her. Hi, Beans Queens. I've been following Muller She Road on Twitter for a bit now and started listening to your podcast this September. Now, I can't get enough, and thank you both for all you do. I want to share something with you really made my day. With the current state of the world, I've been feeling frustrated, as though I hadn't been contributing much. Now, in the spring of this year, with the upcoming Dobbs decision, I finally got off my butt to do something, and I thought starting with something easy and local was the best way to go. Thus, I started, quote, sidewalk chalk postings on our sidewalk in front of our house. Messages vary, but I pull ideas from Twitter and try to make them relatable and human about abortion, the people of Uvalde, uh, etc. That should speak to human beings regardless of party. Nice. I live in a pretty purple city. Anyway, long story short, last week an anonymous neighbor left a note card on our door that read, quote, I just wanted you to know I absolutely love your sidewalk postings. It totally made my day and I keep the note card on my desk where I work as a daily reminder that little things can make a difference. I've attached a pic of my older chalk posting. For pet tax, here is our rescued calico pancake and Simba, my super chill fluffernutter. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You're the pretty girl. Yeah. Can we talk about Simba in the second picture? <laughs> it's a very anxious cat. A very anxious cat. Lewd. <laughs> All right. And here's one of the sidewalk uh, picks. Someone you love may need an abortion one day. What will they do if the Supreme Court takes away our freedom? Hmm. That's so effective and simple. What a great idea. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Kara. Uh, Kara? Kara? Kara. Let me see. Kara. 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 All right. Next up from Jacob. Hi, Beans Queens. I'm a newer patron, but I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I'm reaching out because I've been following the whole Elon Twitter debacle that's unfolding, and I've been keeping up with your issues with imposter accounts. I just wanted to ask if there were any other places to follow you besides Twitter. I have you followed on Instagram, but are there any pro-democracy social media sites out there that you are on? Thanks for all you do. Jacob, I don't know if there are any pro-democracy I know. I was going to say Facebook, sites. but that then you took that out of our hands with the pro-democracy part. I am on Facebook at Allison Gill. I'm also, I have two other Twitter accounts at Allison Gill and at Daily Beans Pod. Uh, and I have signed up for uh, Mastodon oh. uh, under the at Muller She Wrote moniker. And I also did a counter social account. Um, and I, I, that they sit there and, and if I, I'm going to drive my Twitter account like a Tesla until it bursts into flames uh, after <laughs> unintentionally running over accelerating some unsuspected into a yeah. <laughs> lamppost. Yes. I'm just going to drive that thing until the wheels fall off. honestly. <laughs> and so, uh, that's where, that's where I'll be. Uh, and, and I've also got myself on the waiting list for blue sky, which is uh, Jack Dorsey starting a new thing, I guess. And hopefully it'll be a lot like Twitter. All right. But I know that a lot of the fired people, Elon reached back out and said, please come back. And they're like, nah, nah, bro. So it's, yeah. it's a clusterfuck. What a mess. 
All right. This is from Jade. And I just really quick, I just realized um, in the story before this so that they hear me say their name correctly. Kara, I apologize. I may have said Kara at the beginning of your story. And I just want to acknowledge that. I can't remember, but just to be sure, because names are important, especially for our friends. This is from J.D. Sanderson, pronouns he, him. My name is J.D. Sanderson. I'm a science fiction writer. So much this week has been bumming me out. Musk's chalkmark plan may bury people like me under the algorithm unless I pay for verification. Undoing years of building sales and readers. Then the news is completely depressing. Even rational channels are saying nothing but doom and gloom, making it seem inevitable that the GOP will take over. Ugh. I personally think we'd be better off in, if Banjo, our 11-year-old rescue mini poodle, were to run for office. If I, if elected, Banjo promises a bone in every dish and a permanent ban on choker chains. I like it, Banjo. I've attached a picture of the feisty little boy. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for being the one source of hope out there and keep on swearing. Fuck yeah, JD. Oh my goodness. Look and Banjo is very cute. I would vote for Banjo. I would too. I would too. Banjo 2024. Let's do it. Next up, proud dad with a family of blue dots in a red state. I was woken up a little before 1.30 a.m. to a call from one of my kids, who is a young adult. He opened with, Dad, I'm sitting here with my friend, and we're reading Ballotpedia. They wanted to make sure they fully understood the meaning of the crazy wording of the ballot measures when they go to vote together. That's such a cool story. Pet tax is our dog acting like a raptor or a T-Rex while chasing her favorite toy at the time, a plastic steak. We got her when she was six months old. She came from a home where they chose to name her after their favorite former president. I like to think she balanced out the universe a little by being the good Reagan. She was the best. She's a happy baby. This the plastic steak. Where are you from? Because that looks like my old neighborhood in Akron. That's funny. (laughs) I'm like, is that my house? Did you do you live in my house, proud dad, with a family of blue dots and red states? (laughs) What a beautiful pup. Absolutely. I'm a happy baby. So cute. Thank yes. you for all of these photos. And thanks for all of your good news. We need it today. We do. If you haven't voted, get out there and just do it. Just go. Please. And you can say that you did. You know? Yeah. I hear you. I did. Sure you did. I'm pretty sure everybody listening's probably already voted. <laughs> oh, God. I hope so. If you haven't and you know you're just going to do it day up for whatever reason, you don't trust the mail or what have you, I totally get it. But. And I'm not just saying don't trust mail-in ballots. I'm saying you don't trust the mail because USPS has been screwed for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, just make sure you get out there and do it, please. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, uh, we'll be back tomorrow and we can talk about what's happening. Uh, of course, when we record this tomorrow, it'll be the middle of election day and we won't really have much information. But, yeah. Um, I look forward to it. And we really send in that good news, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And one last time, boat blew over Q. And please take everyone you know with you. Please. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.